So we've been uh, talking over these weeks about the Holy Spirit, about who the Holy Spirit is, about his peace, his kindness, what the presence of the Holy Spirit um, we talk about it a lot, but what it means and how it feels and what it's like. And there's often surprises. Um, and this morning, we're going to talk about God's power and God's truth. And it's a, it's a tricky topic in a world where truth has become something that is very, very subjective. That my truth is my authority. And it's a, it's a huge offense to suggest that there is truth that holds everyone accountable whether they like it or not. And it's also a very tricky area in the church these days, in the church where the Holy Spirit told me becomes my authority as opposed to testing what I think I'm hearing. And there's all kinds of havoc in the church because of the claims of people claiming the Holy Spirit for everything, you might have noticed. Um, and that's not a cynical comment, that's not a snide comment, it's just a tricky topic. Um, because we're not used to a lot of authority. We're not used to a lot of truth that holds us accountable. We're used to, this is what I feel like. And uh, I had this experience, so it must be true. And of course, subjective truth is about my personal experience, but my personal experience doesn't necessarily mean, mean it's true. Do you follow me? That's why for many people who come into churches and they've never been in a ch in, seen God before, there's a lot of unlearning to do. Now I often talk about that in terms of my experience of God. If, if you say to me, God loves you like a father, and I've often told the story about the woman who said, well, my father abused me for five years and made me ask Jesus to forgive him. So when I talk about father, I, I, I shut down. And there are many, many, many journeys of people that have issues with these phrases that need to be healed. And that's why I think so much part of, part of following Jesus is about helping one another find out what is true and what isn't true. And there's a huge relief that comes when you go, oh my word, you mean I don't have to juggle this tension? You mean God doesn't cause suffering to teach me a lesson? So I don't have to keep on looking over my shoulder. He doesn't punish me like that. No, he doesn't. Jesus used to say, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. God is, is exceedingly kind. But he's not only exceedingly kind, he's also very powerful. And he's not only very powerful, and, and this is how you hold it together, and, and just want to keep on saying these things again and again. God is exceedingly powerful. He's the creator of the universe. Like a CEO of Microsoft, he's extremely powerful, he's got all this wealth, but when he speaks to his children, he doesn't say, I am the head of Microsoft and I am exceedingly wealthy, he just says, hi kids, I hope. So he's able to hold these identities in tension. And so God, uh, somebody said they went to a church recently and it was all just following written statements. And there's a sense of, uh, God is not somebody who who demands you do anything. He just says, come to me. And so as we talk about uh, the Holy Spirit today, there's this passage in Hebrews. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hid from God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And you go, whoa, it doesn't sound so cool. 
See, the way we talk even about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit does this, the Holy Spirit does this, come Holy Spirit, go Holy Spirit, heal Holy Spirit. And it begins to sound like the Holy Spirit is just my dumb waiter. And the Holy Spirit is just here, the favor of the Holy Spirit is upon me, the favor of the Holy Spirit told me this, the Holy Spirit. That's why my passion is, it's got to be rooted in community. It's got to be rooted in relationship. It's got to be rooted in people who know me. And they need to know me from Monday to Sunday. And go, John, I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. I think that's you. But the thing is this, the Holy Spirit, you see, it says here, what does it say? He's a dumb waiter and he's passive. And he's tossed between the Father and the Son. No, it says, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes. It's very active. And that sounds really scary. Because if you're like me, I go, well, it's very active and it penetrates right to the core of me and it sees everything about me. I'm about to be fried. It all depends in whose hands the sword is being wielded. In the hands of a loving father and an exquisite surgeon, that sword cuts to the marrow in a way that brings healing. Grab the sword and start beating people over the head with the word of God and you don't cut to the marrow, you wound. And many of us have either been subject to wounding or are guilty of wounding because we have taken up the word of God and we have claimed all kinds of things in the name of God and we have stabbed and we have penetrated and we have caused a lot of bloodshed that is not of God. Because we have said this is the truth, this is the truth and God says, is it? Because we as human beings tend to take things of God and very quickly use them to control and very quickly use them to dominate other people. Very quickly we begin to start saying, uh, my way is the way. And part of the hallmark of the Holy Spirit that we've talked about is a humility that offers up things and serves. And there's a lot of weeding through the stuff that has damaged in order to get to this This is the most powerful passage about God's goodness and his kindness and his ability to go into... You see, if you put the sword in a person who causes you to be afraid, in the hands of a person who causes you to be afraid, all you see as they come to you is judgment. And they penetrate to the core of you to judge and to shame and to accuse. In the hands of the loving Father... He comes to you with the same sword in order to say, I don't think you need to do that. That's just damaging you and other people. Let me cut that out. Don't be afraid. Depending on whose hands it in depends on how we experience the penetrating word of God. Most of us need a lot more love behind the words. Most of us need a lot more tenderness behind the words, don't we? You see, And this is the point that we're going to dwell on today, is truth is a person. The Word is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. We tend to depersonalize it to use it in our little piggy bank of stuff. And everything we know about God, I'll just guarantee this for all of us, every single thing any of us know about God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and His Word this morning is not complete. Does anybody know it all? You want to stand up so we could just admire a fool? 
if you think you know it all. And if you don't know it all, then there's no room for pride. There is the possibility for correction. And in fact, the greatest freedom we have as people is to go, I don't know it all, I'm learning, I want to learn with you, can you help me? This is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm sensing, this is what I read. And for some of us, we need to, we, we need to actually get our voices back to go, I don't agree, or I'm struggling with this. Even in the Christian scene, we have these authority figures where we want them to be, and, and we lose our voices because so-and-so said it, it must be true. Don't believe it. On the other hand, don't be so cynical that nobody can tell you anything because you don't believe anything. At the end of the day, truth is a person and that person is Jesus. At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is a person. And at the end of the day, every time we speak about anyone, the Holy Spirit always says, treat that person with exquisite care because they are my favorite. We have become very cavalier with the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit, and with the way that we treat one another. You can't have it all your way. And when it doesn't go our way, what comes out? It better be grace. And we're going to look at some examples, you see, because I was, in the, I was playing squash over the last two weeks and I went to the, in the gym there next to the squash court there's this big punching bag. And last week there was this, because it's holidays, there are lots of people in there who are just fooling around and there was a grandfather with his, his little son, grandson must have been four years old and the son was pushing this thing and every time it swung back and they knocked him out. And he was kind of playing with it but, and, and slapping it. And then this week I went in and there was this guy who just, you suddenly heard this thud and this guy just pounded this. And he was a boxer, you could tell. And I went, whoa, I wouldn't want to be on the end of that. But it just, I was just thinking of it as I was preparing for this talk, which is, it's almost like there's an aspect of God in that. There's the playful side and then there's the side that you don't want to get on the other side of. And we don't often talk about that side because we keep on talking about God's favor. But there's also, if Casey was here, we had this Bible study a week or two on Wednesday, and she said, he's freaking scary. <laughs> right? Freaking scary. And, and, and there's an element of, yeah, we maybe need to know that sometimes. Because we get freaking cocky. And we get freaking, you know, I'm, I'm this. And you go, no, you are not. And, we're going to actually visit Paul because he would stand up and tell us about his experience. So, I want to encourage us with this, but this word that penetrates is confusing in our journey with God and with Jesus and with one another and we don't know it all. It gets very confusing. Have you noticed that? Because we want principles and then we want to have it all worked out so we know how to do this and Jesus for instance we talk about prayer for healing and why aren't people healed and then you go Jesus look at Jesus model and you go what is his model he goes up to people he says be healed he spits on them he, he doesn't even go to their house they, he goes to their he does everything and he says well my my principle actually is I don't have one other than I listen to my father and I do what he tells me 
And so he seems to be very creative. He does things differently all the time. And then you say, well, you know, you've got to know the word of God and the word is truth and you've got to apply that to people. And then the woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus by the experts of the law. And they say she was caught in adultery. Now they were looking for somebody to exploit, to make a point so that they could actually deal with Jesus. So he's not stupid, he knows that. And they bring this woman, half naked probably, into the marketplace. The man's, I always say this, the man's not around because, you know, he doesn't have a problem apparently. They should have brought both of them there. But he probably slipped on his cassock and then ran around and picked up a stone. As we are wont to do. And they say, this woman was caught in adultery, the law says she should die and we should stone her. And that was true. So the word of God is, is cutting like a two-edged sword. She should die because she is guilty of something that demands death. And Jesus writes in the, in, the, in the sand and then stands up and says, who condemns her? And then he says, they will walk away. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. And you go, but how can you contradict your word? And this truth that cuts deeper, you suddenly go, this truth actually has applications that vary depending on who the person is. Not that the goalposts are shifting, but the compassion and grace of God as to how that truth is applied is what is most significant. So what do we get from Jesus? Never separate my word from me and never set me from that person because that person is the most important reality. And my truth will work its way into them and I will do it my way. And I believe what we do too often is we play God. And we start applying God's truth to one another. Do you realize, do you, do you often see, find yourself with this, that you actually have great wisdom on how other people should live? And what other people should do? And from a distance you actually, you, you actually create all kinds of theories as to how, who, who they should be and how they should be and what they do and what they think. Do you, do you find yourself doing that? And then you sort of turn around and say, but God loves you and I'm praying. And you go, stop it. Humble yourself. Take yourself before God. If you're going to have insight on anyone, ask him to give you insight on you. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Aaron. Because he who has been forgiven much will love much. It is not hard to have mercy and grace on other people when you've received it yourself. It's easy to forget that you've received it and you become hard with other people. And then you pick up the word and you beat it. it is not, it's not a two-edged sword. It's a, it's a club. Because it's not difficult to judge people. It's not difficult to get irritated with one another. It's not difficult to get disillusioned. How do we allow God's word to penetrate us to the depth of our being? When did God convict you and me of things that caused us to say, whoa, I never saw that. Just try to think of examples that caused me to scratch my head. One more is, uh, you know, God's word is clear, God's ways are clear. And just after Jesus has uh, risen and the disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered, and then the, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, the people who were uh, chosen to serve at tables, you remember? They, they wanted people to serve because there was fighting. The widows felt that the Greeks and the Jews weren't getting the same sort of deal. 
and they had to work that out and they, they chose seven men and one was Philip and then Philip went and healed people and then he actually gave this amazing um, description of what the, the fledgling Christian gospel was like and Saul came and gave his assent to have Philip stoned to death. And you go, Saul, two chapters later, is going on his road to Damascus and he gets the, he was, he's knocked off his donkey or his horse and he's in the dust and, and, and he hears a voice. He's, he's blinded and God says to him, and Jesus says to him, why do you persecute me? And, he's not, and, and so he's saying to, to Saul, every time you are engaging with these other people, you are persecuting me. A bit like to the least of these who you gave water, you gave water to me. In other words, every time we talk to one another, we're talking to Jesus. Every time we're talking about one another, we're talking about Jesus. And he says, why are you doing this to me? You, talk, you, talk, you do a lot in my name. But how are the people around you experiencing you? How safe do they feel? How loved do they feel? How affirmed do they feel? So when I talk like this, I'm talking to myself as well. And so maybe it's easier to not talk about it because then I don't have to deal with it me, to me either. But God's truth is a deep truth. It's not the little kid playing with a punch bag. It's, it's a powerful truth. And we need some freaking fear in us maybe sometimes. Not to make us miserable, but just to cause us to be humble. Because I want to say to God, Philip was filled with your spirit. He served you with humility. He has the courage to stand in front of the Jewish hostility and to actually give voice to your gospel. And Saul has him killed. Um, Saul has him killed. Stephen, sorry. And two, two chapters later, Saul suddenly has this revelation. Why couldn't Stephen do that? Why did Stephen have to die? How come he has to suffer and the guy who killed him suddenly becomes the hero? And we have God figured out? We have how he works figured out? I wouldn't have Stephen stoned to death and Saul fall off a donkey and suddenly have a revelation. I would have Saul killed and Stephen have the revelation. And I probably wouldn't have chosen Peter. All I'm trying to illustrate is how cavalier we can be with God's word and how easily we can slip into assumptions that God is made in my image and that God actually does things more or less what I want him to do. And that piercing word of God, the, the spirit that cuts and is two-edged, sometimes needs to be really piercing our hearts. Be very careful of the sword that is wielded in our hands over other people. In the name of Jesus. And so Saul is this radical, jealous Jew, zealous Jew, destined for leadership as a young man. And in Acts 9, he comes towards Damascus. And you know the story, most of you. He comes to Damascus to kill, Jew, to, to kill Christians. And how does he come? He comes with passion. He comes with people. He comes with authority. He comes with theological background. 
He comes with a pedigree that is very, very impressive for his age. He comes with power. All of the things we admire in the Holy Spirit. What's the problem? He's wrong. And the Christians are terrified. And they're also praying. But they're kind of praying like most of us, Lord, help, but I don't know how you're going to do this. And on the road to Damascus, God just flicks a finger and he's off his horse and he's blind on the ground and he says, why are you persecuting me? And everything in Saul changes. Suddenly this arrogant, zealous, passionate, secure man, spiritual leader, is humbled and doesn't know which way is up and he can't see. And the question is, Lord, um, Jesus, why to him, why are you persecuting me? And he's led by the hands into Damascus, not with great power, with great pathetic blindness and fear. And he sits there for three days. He's now experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is marinating him to begin to do a work that doesn't make any sense. God is going to take a man who is out of orthodox Jewish tradition and say to him, you are going to be the one who is going to reach out to the Gentiles, the ones who are the most offensive, the ones who know nothing about your background, the ones whom you are least qualified to, t- to teach. And you think God doesn't make sense and you're looking at your life and saying it doesn't make sense. You're trying to link the dots together and it doesn't make sense. And you've worked out what your gift package is and what your skill set are and how you line up with your future and you go, it's not working out and God might say, because it was never meant to work out, you've got it wrong. I can take you and use you in all kinds of ways that you've never dreamt of. If you took your hand off the stick and you stopped trying to control everything, Sort of like this, if we look at this video. Get a little light relief, it's getting a little heavy, isn't it? Now you try and distill that down to the law and to love. You could go through that scene three times as they were trying to do. You can do things because they need to be done, but there's this other side which is a heart response that God is looking for. And because his truth penetrates Sometimes he's just waiting for that to go deeper in us. You see, he's not angry with us. He's wanting to actually coach us into how to trust him. And how do you coach somebody in how to trust you? You start wherever they are. And you actually walk alongside them in all the messiness of life and begin to impart some hope as they actually begin to experience they're accepted in the midst of their totally unacceptable place. Because many of us have lost hope ourselves. And one of the things that people don't do is, you know, I'm not going to church because that's just where I get condemned. Which would be as crazy as going, I'm not going to hospital because that's where I don't get healed. I go to hospital because somebody can help me. I go into a community that calls itself church because there I have unconditional love. I'm accepted and I find hope and friendship. That's what it's meant to be. That's why our first line of our mission statement is being family. 
which means it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, you're welcome. Because we believe that actually in the midst of our gatherings, God actually touches our lives and gives us hope and makes things real and starts causing us to come alive in ways we never thought would be possible. And so God took this man Saul who was so absolutely set for one direction and he turned him right around and sent him in a totally different direction. But he didn't just change Saul's mind, he had to transform his heart. And I just want to suggest that all of us are in the process of having our hearts transformed. That our knowledge is not enough. Our reputation is not enough. It's how we walk. It's how we suffer. It's how we serve. It's how we humble ourselves. It's how we do things when we don't always agree. It's how we show up. See, that skit that we saw, the theory was being challenged by the practice. Jesus, you can have everything and then things come up and suddenly everything isn't always... Well, I didn't mean it like that. So when God's sword comes to penetrate and he's active and it's living and it's penetrating your heart and my heart, what's it saying this morning? Now, If you have the struggle that I've had is it must be bad. If God's sword is penetrating, it's all going to be bad news. But God's sword that penetrates is actually trying to bring in good news. All he's doing is cutting out the bad, but he's not condemning bad in me. If I had cancer, I would want that sword cutting out the cancer. And so if we understand God's love is absolutely committed to you and to me, then whenever he's wielding the sword over me, I should say, Lord, whatever you want. Because I'm in the safest hands I can possibly be in. I've been on the receiving end, as you have, of swords wielded by people in the name of Jesus that are the most damaging thing I've ever experienced in my life. And many of us have. And we probably have wielded a few swords that we're ashamed to say have maybe damaged others. And then we can actually hold it in there and not give up and not forgive and that goes on and on and on. But the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit talks about grace and mercy. And so God's desire is that we, see, we, 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 we do not experience fear when we encounter him. We actually go, what are you going to work on? And you can even start at the place where you go, but I don't want you to work on that, I quite like that. And he says, well, why don't you ask me to help you not like it? Because it's actually killing you. And it's killing other people. Well, I don't know how to let that go. And in, 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 in any way... Here are the reasons why I'm going to hold on to it. And he says, why don't you just let me marinate you like I did with Saul? Can I do that? Are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to be changed? Are you willing to be transformed? Are you willing? Carmen and I were watching one of those, uh, what's it, what are they called? Reno, restaurant Renos, you know, where the guy comes in, he's muscle-bound guy, Robert. I mean, he's big and he comes in and he sees this thing and, and, and it's a disaster. And in this particular instance, the parents had been uh, spoiling their kid and bought him a restaurant and he'd messed it up and he was abusive and terrible to the parent. 
and they did a, a video of an encounter where this guy was swearing at his parents and treating them like dirt and and he shows that they, they show him how he looks and he kind of breaks he goes I didn't realize what I was doing and sometimes God will hold up to us mirrors or people where he's trying to get our attention because he's trying to say I want to help you in this area you see I think we, 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 the reason why we make so little impact as Christians in the world is because we're so immature I mean we get owies for nothing we get offended for nothing we keep people away of the most stupid stuff and then we wonder why we don't have any muscle to actually walk and actually make a difference you cannot escape God working with us to change the things that are killing us in order to make us free. That's why testimonies are so important. That's why when we have coffee with somebody, don't preach at them. Just tell them how you learned how to follow Jesus. Tell them the bad stuff in you. Why? Because I need some encouragement to believe that God actually might love me because I know what's in me. And then watch what comes out. The good stuff starts coming out. The hope starts rising. The love of Jesus starts rising. The transformation starts coming. We've seen it many times. Because almost everybody has been subject to swords that have damaged them, not helped them. And so Saul, I mean, Saul eventually became Paul. He went into the interior near Tarsus for 14 years. What do you think God was doing? There are people who become Christians two years later. I'm an authority on everything. Miles wide and, and an inch deep. It takes time for God to work in us. At a depth that gives us integrity. And so later, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength and he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. For that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul is writing this 15, 20 years later because he never forgot. And because he never forgot, when he spoke to people, he spoke with grace and mercy. And what was he doing at this point? He was actually reaching out to the Gentiles, to people who had no understanding of his background, no understanding of his great learning, no understanding of much other than they liked debating and he could debate. And he began, God began to use him to touch the lives of many, many Gentiles. So unexpected, so different. So the presence of the Holy Spirit has many facets to it. One day it's about loving. One day it's just about loving. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Particularly to people who are new. It's never angry. It's never judgmental. It's never hostile. It's always loving. Welcome. It's like picking up a kid. 
The presence of God for people who have just been found is always gentle and kind. I don't care if you smoke, smoke. Say yes to Jesus. I don't care if you drink. I don't care if you do drugs. I do care, but you know what I'm saying. It's Jesus who will... You know, you, you, you start behaving with a company that you keep. So it's far, far healthier to say, come to Jesus, he'll sort it all out. Because if I give you my spin, I'm just going to give you a Western worldview that's me and there's truth to that, but it's not absolute. Because remember, I would have killed the woman caught in adultery. And then as soon as I start applying who could come in and who can't and who should behave like what, then you say, well, it says in the Bible, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. So how come you've got two eyes? And how come your limbs aren't cut off? Because it says in the Bible, cut off your hand. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying it's better to allow the word of God to apply it to me rather than me applying it to everyone else. Bring people to Jesus and watch how he begins to change them from the inside out like he did with Saul and begin to transform them. That's why when we have communion here, some churches, they will say, unless you've been baptized, unless you are this and that, you can't come and share in our meal of communion. I always say, if you want to know Jesus and you want to follow him, you're welcome at this table. Because my conviction is that as you eat from the table of Jesus, as you meet with Jesus, he will awaken something that maybe has got lost or dead or you never knew in you, that God delights in you and loves you. And he will have a meal with you before you know him. He healed people all over Capernaum who'd never shaped up in any form other than, I'm sick. Most of us need greater encounters with the exquisite love of God. And the rules will take care of themselves. For those who have followed Jesus for a long time, that's sometimes when the sword needs to come in because we get complacent and we settle down in a ways that become unhealthy. So, what we're thinking about this morning is the power of the Holy Spirit who can actually encounter us. We're thinking about our ability to be sincerely wrong. I mean, have you considered that? That you could be sincerely wrong about something? I can be sincerely wrong about something? Because if I'm aware of that, then I have a greater propensity to, to go... Lord, help me make sure that I'm actually walking as you want me to walk right now. And as we come and share in communion this morning, consider what is God saying to us as individuals? Where does he want to encourage us? Where does he want to build us up? Where does he want to say, after Saul had been blind for three days and Ananias came along and said, God is going to use you. He's going to actually use you to reach out and expand the kingdom way beyond anything you have any idea about. Imagine him laying hands on Saul and saying, you're going to actually write letters that are going to become like the Old Testament, but the New Testament for every generation in the world to come. How do you wrap your head around that? What am I going to say? Well, I'm going to take you off into isolation for 14 years and you're going to practice amongst people and not do too much damage and then I'm going to work on your character. Imagine if that was the hallmark for us. I want to follow Jesus. We're going to send you to Port Alberni. You're going to work on your character for 14 years and then we'll release ministry. I wonder how many people would be in ministry. Because in my experience, not many. 
Because the ministry becomes my identity very quickly. And then how am I going to do this? And he says, don't worry, I'm not going to tell you. And what happens is Saul gets so changed into Paul that when he writes the letter to Timothy, he actually writes scripture and he doesn't even know he's doing it. And he writes to Galatians and he writes to the Corinthians. Out of the overflow of his heart, he writes and God says, that's good enough. We can work with that. And that's how he wants to work with you and me. Out of what's inside will flow out and he will work with it. And the transformation will happen when you're not trying to be transformed, you're just serving Jesus. Does it make sense? Relax. And yet at the same time be aware 